Welcome to the College Commons Podcast, passionate perspectives from Judaism's leading thinkers, brought to you by the Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion, America's first Jewish institution of higher learning. My name is Joshua Holo, Dean of HUC's Jack H. Skirball Campus in Los Angeles, and your host. Welcome to the College Commons Podcast and this episode's interview with Fern Perlstein. Fern Perlstein is a critically acclaimed filmmaker and renowned cinematographer. She won the Sundance Cinematography Prize for Imelda about the former first lady of the Philippines. She has produced and or directed dozens of films, including The Last Laugh, which was released theatrically in over 25 cities and screened at over 100 film festivals, including London, Munich, Jerusalem, and Rome. Perlstein is a member of the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Sciences, and a 2018 inductee into the Brooklyn Jewish Hall of Fame. Fern, welcome to the College Commons Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So I want to start off with The Last Laugh, which is getting a lot of press. You uh, wrote and directed the 2017 documentary, which is about, if it's fair to sum up, it's about humor, the Holocaust, and survival. And I wanted to uh, invite you to introduce us to the film. In 1991, I was on an assignment in Miami for a totally different job when I was just a still photographer. And I brought a friend along. And one of the things that we were doing, they introduced us to the, the then new Holocaust Memorial in Miami. And it was, there was a tour being given of the memorial by this elderly survivor. And it was right around when Art Spiegelman's Mouse had come out. And it had just won the Pulitzer Prize. And it was a phenomenon. And there had been nothing like it. It was the first graphic novel. So my friend and I started a discussion after the tour with the survivor, and she was very upset. She hadn't read it, but she was very upset by the very idea, because at that point we were still, you know, anybody's knowledge of a cartoon was in the Sunday, you know, the Sunday cartoons, basically. And she said to us, there's nothing funny about the Holocaust. You can't put it in the funny pages. And, you know, we had a really long, thoughtful conversation with her about how we, you know, thought it wasn't necessarily humorous, although there were some humorous moments in the present day story with him and his father. But, um, you know, it just gave us a lot to think about. And then my friend and I went back to New York where we were both living and he, we both went off to grad school. In the process he started thinking about this and wrote a 25-page paper called The Last Laugh, sort of examining, is it okay to use humor in connection with the Holocaust, inspired by this conversation, and that, is it okay, and were, was, there, was there humor, you know, during the Holocaust? This is already 20-odd years after The Producers. Well, 1991, yes, the, the movie. I mean, it's a long time after the producers to yeah. be asking that question, isn't it? Yes, but he was, he, this paper was a 25-page paper about humor in the camps. Oh, actually, as lived. Yes, yes, yes. Got it. In the displaced persons camps, in the ghettos. I see. And indeed, there was a ton of evidence that this existed. And that's what this paper was about. So it was a very academic paper. I was at Stanford getting my master's in, film, in documentary film. I was working on a film in Seattle where he was, and he handed me the paper and he said, make this into a movie. That was 1993. 
And of course, it took me until 2011 to actually be able to raise money for the film. Are you conveying the information that it took you so long because it was still taboo or because, yeah. Because it was still taboo. And guess what? I think it's taboo again. I Uh, think it'd be very hard for me to make it now. Really? That's, that's, we can, I don't know, we can jump in. I think I find it interesting that it should be taboo. I can understand why media humor about the Holocaust might be taboo because you are taking someone else's suffering and putting it in a comic context. But to, to, to talk about the actual victims and those who experienced it who have proverbial philosophical ownership over their own story, to discuss their humor on their terms, it's strange to me that that should ever be taboo because they kind of get the moral right to do that. Well, that is a major thing my film asks. So for instance, when Kent Kirschermel handed me the paper, I, I read it, it was very academic, it was incredible, it gave me the permission to make the film, because it's as you say, if, if the survivors are making the jokes, it's a big difference, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, but I knew the documentary had to open up to post-war humor. And it had to open up to things like the producers and now career enthusiasm and, and whatnot. And now Joe Rabbit, for instance. So it was like, you know, and who can make the joke? Do you have to be a Jewish comedian? Do you have to be a comedian? Do you have to be, what happens when somebody retells the joke and they're not Jewish? And what happens if that person is a neo-Nazi? You know, like there's all these questions that the film asks. So without spoiling the movie, do you come to any, I don't know, conclusions or is it more an examination with an open-ended? It's an examination that asks all these questions. It does not give answers because the answer is different for every single person. Your experience, the context of the, of the jokes, you know, what makes them work, what makes them not work, who's telling them, who's hearing them. It's different for everybody. Before we return to the podcast, we want to let you know about digital learning on the College Commons platform. Beyond this podcast, which is available to the public at large, check out the online courses at collegecommons.huc.edu for in-depth learning, digital syllabi, assignments, inspiration for teaching, and one of our most influential courses called Making Prayer Real. Subscribe with your synagogue for all this and more. Just click sign up at collegecommons.huc.edu. Oh, and one more thing. Help us out and rate us on iTunes. But whatever you do, do not give us five stars, unless we deserve it. Now, back to our podcast. You appeared on the Leonard Lopez Show, which is WNYC, together with Judy Gold and Alan Zweibel. And all of you, there was a there was a lot of consensus amongst the three of you as interviewees. And, and Gilbert Gottfried. And Gilbert Gottfried, thank you. Uh, and all of you spoke uh, about the importance of the context and the audience with respect to humor. Not just can a neo-Nazi make the joke, but also to whom can you make the joke, and what context can you do it? And there was a lot of consensus that the context matters. You know, uh, comedians speak to comedians in ways that they don't speak to audiences, etc. 
and that in some ways, Leonard Lopate himself asked if there was a, a line uh, beyond which you couldn't cross. And people seem to agree in that interview that it depends on the audience at least. And so I wonder as a filmmaker, where you lose control of the audience. It's not stand-up. You're not in a room. You can't read the room. You're not giving a guest lecture where you've been invited by a certain constituency. You're putting it out there in the world more like a book or an article. And I want to know if that's a, a, a different kind of risk from the filmmaker's perspective than from the comedian's perspective. In a film like this, where I wanted to get into more, some of that academic stuff in that original paper, it was harder because, as opposed to a TV series, which I think I could have examined, you know, one episode could have been all about humor during the war or have these certain experts. But the problem is when you have comedians and they're like Mel Brooks and clips from Joan Rivers and all these outrageous comedians, it's hard to then put an academic person next to them <laughs> right. and have it work. So the film is sort of divided in three parts. It's got, you know, clips from all these different movies and television shows and examples of, of using this sort of humor. And then it has a Greek chorus of comedians like Mel Brooks, Sarah Silverman, Rob and Carl Reiner, Susie Essman, you know, et cetera, et cetera, who answer questions, talk about their line, all that sort of thing. But the heart of the film is a survivor who's now turning 95, Renee Firestone, who it's a more observational story that's intercut with all of that stuff. And she's sort of our guide of what's okay and what's not okay. And she's particularly permissive, right? I would say she has a very good sense of humor. She has a dark sense of humor and a gallows sense of humor. She doesn't think everything's okay, but she has a definitely a darker sense of humor than you know the other survivors. But and you know- And she's your cover. She's your permission because she's a survivor. She's my permission, but she's also a judge. I'll give you an example, So, um, which covers a couple things we're talking about. As you know, I've been trying to make the film since 1991, so collecting research, and any time there was something of the subject matter, I'd either watch it or whatever. So Sarah Silverman did Jesus's Magic live, you know, then it became a film many, many years later, but we saw it live on Bleecker Street in, in the village. And she did about 20, 25 minutes of Holocaust material. And it was funny. I mean, we laughed. We were in a dark room. Nobody was judging us. So when it came time to actually make the film and I met Renee, I had this idea of showing the audience stuff like that, but then backing up and watching Renee watch that stuff. So there was context of what you're watching because it was very safe for me to laugh at those jokes in a dark room with numerous people my age right. with no consequences, right? So I there are a number of scenes in the film where Renee and her daughter Claire are going through YouTube clips about Holocaust humor and watching them and responding. And sometimes you just see the clip and you don't realize and then it backs up on her, not in a tricky way, but you know, cause you know, she's part of the film. And because I wanted that off balance thing, I wanted you to be able to laugh and then remember what you're laughing at and who you're right. laughing 
And I wanted people to be, you know, I wanted that roller coaster effect of it. And what's so interesting is when I would show people rough cuts of the film, especially younger audiences, they would have the response of, I don't want to see Renee. I don't want her to say, I don't think that's okay. Or I, or that's not funny because it made them feel judged. But that was the point. And older viewers didn't have the same sensitivity. Older Jewish people love my film. This completely caught me by surprise. I can't tell you how many screenings where people came up to me after survivors or children and grandchildren of survivors telling me their stories about humor. Mm. Because it's never been something they can talk about. So it's, right? It's not something that they were getting around telling, oh, let's talk about funny stories about the Holocaust. It wasn't happening. So that gave them, people in the audience, permission to tell me these stories, which was amazing. We're not talking about, you know, Gilbert Gottfried stories. We're talking about, like, subtle humor that might have happened in the camps. Like, Renee tells a story about a woman in her barracks who was a pantomime. And because they had to be quiet, it was sort of the perfect art form. And she would do all these things and pantomime all these things and skating, and they would, you know, smile ear to ear. And so that's a, t a t kind of a story. Or we met, um, a survivor we didn't get a chance to film who, and th this is shocking to me, but he was an MC co for a comedy show at Auschwitz. It was a small thing behind the barracks. The, they would do it for the guards. They were just telling jokes. In the film, uh, you know, somebody talks about how some of, depending on where it was, like not in the death camps. They didn't, they didn't have big cabarets in the death camps, but they did have them in Theresienstadt and Westerbork, and there's footage of it in my film. But even in Auschwitz, they could do something like that. But in Westerbork and Theresienstadt, there might have been double entendre and, you know, like inside jokes amongst the Jews about the guards that the guards didn't understand. There was none of that at Auschwitz. It was straight, you know, like mother-in-law jokes, you know? Yeah. Any, you know, and which was just a release, you know, just a release. And it was entertainment for the guards. Well, listen, Fern Perlstein, thank you very much for taking the time to speak with me. It's been a pleasure to get to know you and to hear your stories of uh, telling stories. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the College Commons podcast, available wherever you listen to your podcasts or at the College Commons website, collegecommons.huc.edu where you can also stay tuned for future episodes.